0: The following is a message from Pastor Ellis Orozco of First Baptist Richardson. For more information, please visit fbcr.org. Thank you for worshiping this morning, and we're going to continue worshiping him by going to his word. It is the second Sunday of Lent, and we are going to go to the New Testament reading for this Sunday. Christians all over the world studying this same text from uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 3 they will be reading from verse 17 all the way to chapter 4, verse 1. And and we're going to be taking this passage apart, asking God to reveal to us this next step on our road to resurrection. And this is what the Word of God says. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Christians he loves, says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. and, And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. We are on the second stop on this roadmap to resurrection. Last week on our first stop, uh, we, we talked about this idea of, of, of ownership and, and, uh, and how we invest our lives. In fact, that will be a common theme running throughout all these sermons leading up to Easter, how we invest our lives. And so the big takeaway from last week was that everything we have belongs to God, that every, every material possession, everything that we have is a gift from God, belongs to God, And someday we'll be returned to God. All of it will be returned to him. So that the only question then was, what do we do with it while we have it? How how do we invest it during the time that it's under our stewardship? How do we we invest our lives? So that was the first stop on the roadmap to resurrection. Today on the second stop, that, that question about ownership moves from the things that we possess... To me. Who owns me? And the question actually deeper than that is, really, who, who am I? And if you dig down into that question even deeper, the real question is, where do I come from? And where am I, where am I going? That's, that's the question of this second stop on the map. Um, there has always been this tension in the Christian life, and it's a tension caused by the idea that that we are that we are born into this world and live in this world, but we follow a Savior, Jesus Christ, who came from another world. He came from another world, and although he lived in this world for a time, he has gone back to this to this other world. and And this idea that we are born and live in this world, and yet we follow a Savior who's from a a different world that causes this, this tension in the, in the Christian life. The night before Jesus died, the night before he went to the cross, he met with his disciples and he, he said to them, I'm, I'm leaving you. He says, I'm, go- I'm going to a place, a world, and, and you cannot follow me there right now. But he says to them, but I'm going to this other world, to this other place. I'm going to this world to prepare a place for you. And I want you to know that if I'm going there to prepare a place for you in that world, then you know that I'm going to come back and, so that you will be where I am, so that we will be together. And he says to them, And you know the way to this place where I'm going. And the disciples said, We don't, we don't know. We, we don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way to where you're going? And Jesus said to them, I, I am the way. And that's fascinating to me that there is in this sense where where we can actually already live in that other world, that Jesus in this crucifixion and resurrection. What he has done in conquering our sins is he, in a sense, has opened this portal to this other world. He's, he's opened this way to this other world so that in, in one sense we can already live in that other world. In one sense we already know what that other world looks like because of Jesus, what he taught us and what he modeled for us. We understand what the kingdom of God looks like. We can actually, in some ways, live in that other world. But obviously we are still very much living in this world for a little longer. We're living in this world. And that's, that's fascinating to me how that, how that works. And there are places in the scripture where the scripture writers tell us that we are not to love this world. That if there is this tension in our lives between living in that world and this world at the same time, the, the biblical writers say we are not to become enamored with this world, right? Right? At one particular place in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15, 16, and 17. I want to read there because this is what John is talking about. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15, 16, and 17. And this is what it says. The Apostle John, writing to the church, says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. <clears throat> if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, Comes not from the Father, but from the world, the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Do not love the world, do not love the world. but what what John is saying there, and the other biblical writers in some places they even say hate the world, what they 're talking about when they say Do not love the world, they are not, they are not saying. Do not love the people in the world. When the biblical writers use the word world, they're, they're using it in a very particular way, and it doesn't mean people. It never means people. When they talk about the world, when they use that word, what it means is this, this world system, this world perspective, this this world way of viewing life, this this world definition of what life looks like and what Life is. He says that's what you're to to not become enamored with because it is broken and fractured by sin and death and pain and suffering and evil. He says, "Do, Do not become enamored with that. That world. That's what he's trying to to tell us. And he describes it. He describes it in terms that they can understand. John does in first that first John passage. What does he say? He says the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. These are just some of the attributes of those who have become enamored with this world. The 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 sociological and, and philosophical underpinnings that build this world and what that world says the way that world operates is that is that life is something to be conquered that people are objects to be conquered and exploited and used that that i can somehow bring life under my sovereignty so that i i become the center of the universe and everything that god has created is for me to be con- is for me to conquer and exploit for my for my own good this is, this is the thing, the biblical writers say, that, what I just described, that worldview, that world perspective, that philosophical underpinning to a worldview. He says, that is what you're to hate. That is what you're not to become enamored with because it is antithetical to the teachings of Jesus Christ. It's that world that he's warning us about. And he describes what the people in this world, those who have become enamored with this worldview... He describes, he describes them. He says, their destiny is destruction. By the way, I'm back to the Pauline passage. I'm back to Philippians. I'm jumping around. Back to Philippians chapter, chapter 3. Is that what we read? Yes, thank you. Chapter 3. He, he says, their, their destiny is destruction. This is where following that, becoming enamored with that, it's where it takes you every single time. When I get to that passage, I always think... The kind of the essence of what Paul is trying to say, I think about the, the Godfather trilogy. I know that's strange. But I, I think about the, to be reading the Bible and think about, you know, Michael Corleone is a little strange. But the Godfather trilogy, which is probably one of the most critically acclaimed trilogies in all of cinema history, and the reason for that is because primarily, I, I believe, is because you see this this character arc in the protagonist, the main protagonist, Michael Corleone, played by Al Pacino. And you see this character arc in his life from the first series to the last series. You see where he, he starts off as this kind of idealist, a young, idealistic college student who's going to become a senator someday and, and make a difference in the world. And, and it's what his family wants for him. It's what his father wants for him. And, and through the course of the movie, you see how, how he slowly gets dragged away and gets sucked into this mafia lifestyle of his father that even his father didn't want for him. But it doesn't matter because he gets dragged into this other world. And by the end of the movie, he is corrupt, and he is sick, and he is broken, and he is tragic, see, because that's the destiny. That is, if the, if the worldview that, that the Apostle Paul is talking about here and that, the, that John is talking about, if that, if that philosophical underpinnings of that kind of a, of a world, if that wins then our destiny is World War III. Their destiny is destruction. That is the destiny of those who become enamored with that worldview. And it is World War III. He says their God, their destiny is destruction. And he he says their God is their stomach. The stomach was, in ancient Hebrew thought, taught to be the seat of feelings, the seat of emotion the seat of base needs. And there's nothing wrong with feelings and emotions and certainly base needs. Those things uh, need to be taken care of. But what he's is saying is those who become consumed, right, who become consumed and enamored with the f- emotions and the feelings and the base needs, that, that 24-7 they become consumed with satiating those things. Uh, picture our world today in the sex trafficking that is going on, and the way children are being exploited and abused in the sex trafficking industry, if they, when the base needs and the, and the feelings and the emotions become, become everything to you, that, then your stomach has become your God. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in that world. I, I don't want to live in that world where everyone is living with their stomach as their God. He says their glory is their shame. The things that they lift up high, the things that they now now think about your TikTok feed and your your Facebook feed and your Instagram feed, the things that they highlight, the things that they post, the things that they lift up high and value. He says when when you're living in that worldview, those things ultimately will be your shame. They will be your shame. You're lifting up the wrong things, and then finally he says, "Their mind is set on earthly things," and that's it, isn't it? <clears throat> I mean, that's the problem when we are consumed with the things of this world. Calvin Miller said it this way in his book, The Singer. He said, um, "He said the world is poor because her treasure is buried in heaven, but all of her treasure maps are of the earth. So, what is that treasure?" That is buried in heaven, what is that? <clears throat> you know that the uh, the Afghan refugees have started pouring into Dallas, so they 're coming in now, and we have a team of people, folks from our church, about ten people who or so who uh, who have formed a team to welcome at least one of these families and We got our first family, and this team has surrounded them it 's a family of a, a mother, a father beautiful little three-year-old girl and the grandfather who I believe was a helicopter pilot in the Afghan army. And so they're, they're here now. And and this team of folks from our church, they, they, they've gotten them an apartment, an apartment. They, they've got the apartment furnished, um, all the food, the clothes, because they came with nothing, right? They're working at getting them now. The goal is to get them jobs. And they started at our ESL program here. We have an ESL program. So all that's coming together and they're surrounding them and, and they, they have to be asking as many would ask the, the, the driving question It's why why do you do this right why does someone do this for complete strangers um, who share almost nothing with us not a language not a culture not a faith they share almost nothing with us why would you do this And I think that what Paul is saying here, what the Apostle Paul is saying here in Philippians is that that we don't do these things because they're good things to do. We don't do it because it's the right thing to do. We don't do it because it makes us feel good to do it. Now, all those things are true. I mean, it does make us feel good to do this, and it is a good thing to do, and it is, I would contend, the right thing to do. but, But that's not why we do it, Paul is saying. We don't do it for all those good reasons. He says we do it because that's who we are. That this is who we are. We cannot not do it. He says. Because what he's saying in here is that you have you have undergone this powerful transformation. From that which you were to that which you are now, you've gone through this powerful transformation from that world, that world, to this new world that you're now living in, you see. And in this new world, this is who you are. How does he say it? Verses 20 and 21. Read there with me. Verses 20 and 21. What does he say? He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. He's talking about here about this powerful human transformation that happens. It's about the people and the transformation that happens in the people. The apostle Paul says it again. He says it more clearly in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 17, when he says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. You are a new kind of living being. You were this kind of creature before Jesus. And now he has transformed you into a different kind of human being. A different kind of creature. An otherworldly creature. That's what you are right now. You are an otherworldly kind of creature, and that's what he has done in your heart. And, and it's about personal, powerful transformation in the lives of people. What does Paul say at the very end of this section, his summarizing line, <clears throat> the last line of the, the section we read? He's summarizing everything he has said. Chapter four, verse one. What does he say? He says, therefore, My brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. What is he saying? What is it that he longs for? What is it that he eagerly awaits? What is it that he loves and cherishes? What is it that is his crown, that symbol for that ultimate reward, that ultimate fulfillment? What is it for the apostle Paul? He identifies it. What is it It's people. It's the brothers and sisters back in Philippi, the ones he led to the Lord, the ones he nurtured, the ones he discipled, the ones that he did life with. Right? He even was imprisoned together with some of them. And these are the ones he says, "You're my crown. You're what I long for. You're what I cherish. You're going to. You're the crown that I'm going to be wearing when I get to heaven." It's people. We've been asking you challenging each other this year to make intentional connections, simply to open, open your eyes and see the people around you, to make at least one new friend a, a month, um, to go outside of your comfort zone, right? to help others. And we believe that Jesus is going to take that And he's going to do something with it. I don't know. but He's going to do something with it. So most of you know that my wife Priscilla teaches ESL in North Junior High here in the Richardson School District. That's English as a second language. And so the kids that land in her classroom in particular are kids mostly who just got here to the United States, mostly from Latin America. Um, And uh, they come in and you can see You can see it in their their little eyes. that They're just trying to survive, right? They're they're just trying to survive. Can you imagine? How many of you in your lifetime when you were a kid, sometime in your childhood, like this doesn't count if you were over 18, but sometime in your childhood, your family moved from one city to another city and you, you left all your friends to go to another city. How many of you have experienced that, right? Movement, okay. Not as many as I thought, okay. You can start to understand, right, that move. But multiply it times like a thousand when you're moving to another, through no decision of your own, because I promise you they didn't ask the kids, right? You've now been uprooted from one country to another country who has a different language, different culture, different ideas, different way of doing things, and and you're having to learn and navigate how to do all those things the right way uh, for this culture, but you're having to learn it through a language that you don't understand. And so they're just trying literally to, sur- to survive. So that this last year, so semester, for the, for the first time, Priscilla's been teaching for 10 years in this particular program. And for the first time at this school in 10 years, one of her little boys made the basketball team. And for the first time ever. Right? He made the basketball team. Leonardo. He's playing basketball. Um, this is big. And, and and more recently, one of the little girls in her class, who's only been here from Mexico for maybe a few months, and she just halfway kiddingly, um, jokingly, talked about wanting to be a cheerleader, uh, which, you know, I mean, first of all, it costs $400 just to for the equipment and so forth. And $400 isn't a lot of money unless you don't have it. Then it might as well be $10,000, right? If you don't have it. And then it was, um, also there's the little fact that she's never cheered in her life. Um, There are 20 spots to fill 35 little girls going after 20 spots and half of these girls have been in cheer since they were three years old. And here's this little girl from Mexico. She's never even jumped off the ground to cheer once. Uh, But Priscilla encouraged us to to try, right? Because here's the deal, that research shows, and we know statistically speaking, research absolutely shows that if a child will get involved in extracurricular activities in school, that they not only A, do better, they make better grades in school, but they also, the the percentage chance of them finishing school rises like crazy. By the time I got to senior high, I didn't care about school. I cared about football, track, and cheerleaders, not wanting to be one, but wanting to. <laughs> that, that, that's why I went to school. I did the work so I could play football, right? No pass, no play. I did the work so I could play football. So, so research shows that you'll, you'll stay. So this is why it becomes important you understand that in 10 years of teaching, only one little boy has entered into this world. This world, it's a different world and a difficult world for them to navigate. So Priscilla went with this little girl to all the little meetings to translate for her cuz she doesn't understand what they're saying and the first meeting where she saw all these pretty little girls coming out for cheerleading right doing their tumbles and everything and and she said to Priscilla she said well maybe it's good for me to try out this year so even if I don't make it maybe I'll make it next year and you can already see uh, a defeated little girl going into this right and um, so we, we did we didn't have much time so we just had one day and so in that one day we called in uh, we called in our cheerleading experts the, um, this is uh, Ivy Lasseter and her sister uh, her sister um, Kendall right they were little cheerleaders they come from a cheerleading family I figured their parents were cheerleaders at Auburn I mean come on they have to know about cheerleading right because this little girl knows nothing about cheerleading and Priscilla knows next to nothing about cheerleading right so we brought in the experts and they spent an hour and a half with her one afternoon graciously. And then she went, Do you understand the courage it takes to get onto that gym floor when you're a child who's just trying to survive? Right? I mean, she's not going to make it. Trials were Thursday. And uh, the list came out Friday and she made it. (laughs) Yeah, she made it. Amazing. This is the crown, right? This is why we're asking you to go through life with your eyes open to see the people around you because that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen with you sitting at home for hours watching The Bachelor on TV those things don't happen when, when that's what you're consumed with, when that world is the world you're consumed with, when you spend every evening at home just scrolling through Facebook. These stories don't happen until you go out there and open your eyes and you begin to see people and you begin to invest in people's lives because the Apostle Paul is saying because that's the kind of creature That God has made you now. That is what he has made you for. That it's the people. Uh, I didn't get to show, I wanted to show. First of all, just an idea of these kids, how hard it is for them. This Valentine's, uh, one of Priscilla's little boys, they they all made little Valentine cards for their teacher, as you do, right? And this one little boy uh, gave Priscilla her card, and it was just really amazing. This little boy, he's been here less than a month, and he writes this Valentine's card. He writes it in Spanish, and this is the card. Gracias, Mrs. Orozco, por comprender que soy nuevo. And uh, what that is, in, in, don't you translate it to English? Okay, so what he's saying is, thank you, Mrs. Orozco, for understanding that I'm new. Right. And I, I saw that, and I thought, this is profound. This is profound. The impact of one small thing. Just understanding that I'm new. Thank you. And he'll never forget the teacher that when he landed here who understood. Because not everyone does. Who understood that he was new at this. Right? So it impacts them. It impacts us. I want you to watch uh, Ivy. I told you Pastor Ivy. Shout out to Pastor Ivy. She and her sister really helped Uh, this little girl her name is camila helped her just with confidence to go out there right because at that age most of it is just being bubbly and personality and jumping up and down and smiling and so um they really helped her with this and i but i want you to see the impact it had on pastor ivy and she made a quick video i want you to see this so watch pastor ivy on this video
1: um okay i don't normally do this so this feels kind of weird um But I just, I feel compelled to do it, so I'm gonna do it. Yesterday, I had this opportunity to work with this seventh grade girl named Camila, and she moved from Mexico seven months ago and felt compelled to try out for cheerleader. And so her teacher, um, her ESL teacher found out about this and went to all the parent meetings, went to all the little tryout clinics to help Camila go after this dream. And so yesterday, when I find out found out about this, I was like, well, I was a cheerleader in eighth and ninth grade. That makes me far from a professional. Um and I wasn't the best one on the squad to begin with, but like I can do something and and see if I can help her with her emotions. And so um and then I recruited my other favorite cheerleader, my sister. So Kendall and I worked with Camila for like an hour and a half yesterday, like perfecting motions and all of that. And man, that girl, she has natural ability for one. Um, she has incredible work ethic and mostly she has like remarkable courage. And I just, I don't know, like, I just think, wow, like to move to a new country, not know the language and to go after this man, like, And so, y'all, I cannot stop thinking about her. I'm just, like, thinking about her sitting in class, in her classes, like, that nervous feeling of these tryouts that are going to happen today at 4. And so, I just keep praying for her. And that she would, like, heaven would break through. um, And that she would feel confident and feel bold about it. um, And that her tryouts today at 4, she would go in and feel great. About what she did, you know? And so I I feel compelled to post this, and maybe if you're watching, you also would pray for her, and we just get this little army of prayer warriors praying for Camilla for her cheerleading trials. Okay, so that's that. This feels awkward, but I'm supposed to do it. So I'm going for it. Yeah. Okay. Doesn't look awkward.
0: Yeah, it doesn't look awkward. Ivy's natural. So Yes, this is this is what it's about. This is what Paul is saying. Open your eyes. Open your eyes to the pain and the suffering, the difficulties, the struggles all around you and be Jesus to someone. There's a song that was popular, I don't know, probably now 30 years ago. <clears throat> I'm, I'm getting old. Um, but it had a beautiful message and, and it was... Uh, a song written by a man named Ray Bolts. Um, and the song was called Thank You for Giving to the Lord. And let me just read some of the lyrics. It's, it's about a man who goes to heaven or he dreams that he goes to heaven, right? He says, I dreamed I went to heaven and you were with, there with me. We walked upon the streets of gold beside the crystal sea. We heard the angels singing, then someone called your name. You turned and saw this young man and he was smiling as he came. And he said, friend, you may not know me. And then he said, but wait, You used to teach my Sunday school when I was only eight and every week you would say a prayer before the class would start and one day when you said that prayer, I asked Jesus into my heart. Then another man stood before you and said, remember the time a missionary came to your church and his pictures made you cry. You didn't have much money, but you you gave it anyway. Jesus took the gift you gave and that's why I'm here today. And he says, one by one they came Far as the eyes could see, each life somehow touched by your generosity, little things that you had done and sacrifices made, unnoticed on the earth, in heaven now proclaimed. And I know that up in heaven you're not supposed to cry, but I am almost sure that there were tears in your eyes, and and as Jesus took your hand and you stood before the Lord, he said, my child, look around you, for great is your reward. You are my reward, the Apostle Paul says. That that we have been transformed by the power of Jesus for this, for the people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for taking us on this stop on the road to resurrection. We recognize that you are turning us into new kinds of beings, new kinds of creatures that every day a little more of the old world dies and a little more of the new world lives. And we recognize this as a process, Lord. And we just pray that you would help us be faithful to you. Help us to open our eyes as we go through this world to see you in other people, to see your eyes in the eyes of the suffering, to see your tears in the eyes who are grieving, the, the faces that are grieving. We just We just pray, Father, that you would help us to see. And when we see, Father, help us to do. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.